close my eyes and remember that feeling of my heart just dropping down to the pavement because I knew it was a day where we were short of blood. And if there were more than a couple casualties who needed to be transfused, we weren't going to be able to help them. That's Vicki Finson, Executive Vice President for Blood Services at Bloodworks Northwest, remembering a dark day, January 22nd of 2020, when seven people were injured and another killed after at least two men shot at each other outside a crowded McDonald's restaurant right in the middle of the evening rush hour in downtown Seattle. It was the third shooting in downtown Seattle in two days. You heard the deep concern in Vicki Finson's voice there. What if there just isn't enough blood on hand to deal with the next emergency? Hi, I'm John Yeager, and this is Bloodworks 101. Bloodworks 101 is a podcast produced by your friends here at Bloodworks Northwest. We hope that the stories you hear on Bloodworks 101 will motivate you to donate either time, money, or blood. If you're one of the thousands who've already subscribed, thank you. We're trying to grow this little enterprise, so if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. All right, let's get back to that question at hand. Will there be enough blood on hand for the next emergency? And the day devoted to that question is Saturday, December 18th, State Blood Donor Day in Washington and Oregon. December 18th, as you may recall, was the day Amtrak 501 went off the rails at high speed near Lacey, Washington. Amtrak 501, emergency, emergency, emergency. We are on the ground. The derailment killed three people, injuring dozens more and impacting thousands upon thousands of travelers along the busy Interstate 5 corridor between Seattle and Portland for days. But when you ask Vicki Finson about a specific emergency, whether it's the downtown Seattle rush hour shooting or the Amtrak 501 derailment, Vicki Finson sees the big picture. That's her job. She works with hospitals every day making sure they have enough blood that we collect every day from you. I got a chance to talk to Vicki recently via Zoom. Well, you know, John, I think people take the blood supply for granted. It's not in the forefront of most people's minds. Uh, people who donate blood think about it, of course, but they're a small percentage of the population, probably three to 5% of the population. And it's of course in the forefront of patients' minds who are getting transfused in their family. But the vast majority of people, which has gotta be, gosh, 90 plus percent, don't think about it. They just, like so many things, like when you turn on the tap, you, the water's there, but you don't really think about what all it takes to get the water there. Or so, turn on a light switch. There's electricity. The there's a light. There, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless there's a power outage, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the blood supply is like like that as well. We all assume it's going to be there because most of the time it is there uh, here locally, across the country, across the world. But there are times where the blood supply isn't really robust enough and adequate enough for all the all the needs of patients. And for Vicki Finson, one of those times when she had grave concern for the blood supply was that January evening, 2020, almost two years ago, when she heard the news of a shooting on her way home from work. Yeah, I always remember that moment, actually, John. It was pre-pandemic, uh, right before the pandemic. And um, I was commuting home and um, actually was on the link. I was coming from our Renton facility uh, got to the link station they shut it down 
and no one could figure out what was going on. And we heard there had been shooting downtown and I knew that I needed to get downtown. So I started walking and there was such a frightening, surreal atmosphere walking down uh, First or Second Avenue, whichever one I was. And then I heard there were m multiple casualties and I can close my eyes and remember that feeling of my heart just dropping down to the pavement because I knew it was a day where we were short of blood. And if there were more than a couple casualties who needed to be transfused, we weren't gonna be able to help them. Now, let me take you back to uh, December 18th, 2017. And we were able to, on that day, send 150 units down to Thurston County hospitals um, to address that Amtrak, uh, to respond to that Amtrak 501 derailment. What if that happened today? Well, if it happened right at this moment, uh, we couldn't do it. Um, we could take some time and pull units from all the hospitals where they're stocked, ready for whatever happens um, that they need them. But to get them there immediately, we couldn't do it because we don't have that many on the shelf because primarily what they want is type O, type O positive, type O negative for emergent needs of people who are bleeding out the moment they come into the hospital the trauma treatment center and don't have the blood type for them. So would people die? Um, it's possible. Uh, would the medical personnel on site do everything to prevent that? Of course they would. They would triage who needed blood the most. They would do everything they could to stop the bleeding. They would give them whatever other kinds of treatment could be given to them. Um, besides a blood transfusion. I've been doing this for a while and I, I'm always sort of amazed a bit that people don't think about the fact that the blood has to be there before tragedy strikes. You know, we always see a huge outpouring of folks after a tragedy. Um, and I wasn't here in the Pacific Northwest when that Amtrak derailment happened, but I've been through enough of my tragedies um, in um, the blood center that I, I used to run down in California. And, and, and the community always responded after the fact, which was great because it helped replenish the blood that had been used um, by whatever had just happened. However, if the other folks hadn't donated enough, you get my drift, right? We, we So I would just say to people to really think about the fact that it really does have to be there beforehand. And it takes us a day or two, let's say two, to get that blood processed, tested, and out to where it needs to be so that it's there for the patients who need those life-saving transfusions. Um, and so it's something that donors can do four or five times a year if they want to, we would just ask that people do it a couple of times a year. And, and that will help ensure that it's there before tragedy strikes. And if there is a big event where lots of blood is used on one particular day because of an Amtrak derailment or something similar, then yeah, we do need more people to come out the next few days to replenish what's been used. 
I'm naturally a positive person. I think I have a positive outlook on life, but I spent two decades in newsrooms and um, I, 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 I found proof that every silver lining has a cloud. <laughs> and, um, and, and as a result, I, I, I go into the question, you know, uh, when we say, will we have enough blood on hand? Now add on to the fact that we've got COVID-19 and those social distancing restrictions, and we can't just have people line up around the block to do it. Right. That, that model doesn't work now. No, and that model was always fragile and fraught with problems regardless. So let's talk a little bit about how COVID has changed, how we think about blood donations. So of course, Blood Works was at the forefront of the pandemic, especially in the Seattle area, because luckily we got to go first, right? And we immediately changed to appointment only. And we changed to appointment only to ensure social distancing. So we changed the configuration of our donor rooms. We changed how many people could be in a room at once. And we went to appointment only because that was the only way to ensure everyone's safety. And by safety, I mean the safety of our staff, first and foremost, and our donors, first and foremost. Um, what we've learned is that's a better model. Yeah, for some people, they like to be spontaneous, but you know what? Be spontaneous and make your appointment a week in advance. You're still saving a life, right? What we found is it's a much better experience for the donor. So when people were wrapped around the block after an event, they could wait hours, right? And we had to try to take care of them, keep them hydrated. And while they were well-meaning and patient in some ways, it had to be grueling. And it wasn't the best experience for them, nor the best experience for them to go donate a unit of blood after waiting so long. Um, so when we go to appointment only, that means you come in and you, you start. Um, and I think, you know, we know that there's many things we have to do appointment only uh, in our lives. And during COVID, more and more things have become appointment only because of that social distancing and keeping people safe. So I've been asked by internal folks and external folks, Vicki, when are we gonna go back to walk-ins? And my answer is never. We're gonna stay appointment only. It's better for the donor. And it also helps us see what the blood supply is gonna look like, right? So this morning I was on um, with our team, our forecasting team, and we're looking at the appointments we have this week, next week, the week after that. And it gives us a sense for, are we ready if the Amtrak derailment happens? Are we ready if there's a multiple car injury on, on I-5? Are we ready for the bone marrow transplants, the cancer therapies, the open heart surgeries, the everyday traumas that happen? Um, and so appointment only is something we have to get used to as a community. But I guarantee you, donors, it will be a better experience for you. And our staff will be more engaged with you as well because they're not worried about the 20 people who are waiting to get in as well. They'll be able to spend more time with you, talk with you, help you understand all about blood donations. So the silver lining of that uh, that you were just talking about, John, is I think we've learned something that appointment only is better for donors, better for the blood supply, better for our staff, which is important too. Um, and it, it just gives us a sense of calm and that's better for the whole donation experience.
So John, you mentioned that sometimes inside silver lining, there's a cloud. Um, and it right away when you said that, it made me think of a donor that I met and talked with after the shooting, the Seattle shooting actually. So I was walking around the donor room and thanking the donors and I went up to one donor and the donor said um, that they came in because they had heard of the of the shooting and that um, the, the person had not donated since 9-11. So I, I tried to ask them why. Well, I only donate after there's been a catastrophic event. And I, I tried to talk with the donor just nicely and still thank them of, well, well, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, the blood had to be there before. We would, do you enjoy donating? Donor said, yeah, it's great. Uh, would you consider coming in more often so that we're prepared? And the person just said, no, I only donate after there's been a catastrophic event. And, I, you know, I was just, I was a bit flabbergasted. I'm grateful that the person came in and donated, very grateful. But I wondered how could I have explained it differently? What else could I have said? What was what was the prohibiting factor there? And it stuck with me, just like I told you, I will never forget that moment when I heard about the shooting and said, do we have enough blood for that? Um, that has stuck with me and it's made me ponder how to better explain the ongoing needs, the big needs, the little needs every day, and also the being prepared for when something unexpected happens that requires multiple, multiple transfusions. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge, Vicki, because, you know, we can see it, you can see it every day, you're on those calls. Um, when I uh, work with reporters, um, I have the advantage of knowing more than they do, but uh, sometimes it takes a, a reporter who's who's a, a frequent donor to understand that yeah. i don't need to get over that first hurdle of this is why it's important so then it's a matter of well what's what's holding you back from doing this and i i like the i think kurt used the example once of kurt bailey our ceo and president used the example of uh, a commitment don't consider it a a, a a reservation appointment just consider it a commitment or a promise uh to your community um I don't know, I guess that's the challenge of doing what we do is to, to convince people on all the other days besides State Blood Donor Day that this is something that needs to be done. And because of what we've gone through the last year and a half, it has to be done. I mean, there's there's no option. Otherwise, we don't have any blood on hand for the real the things that really, really come up that we really need to respond to. Yeah, I mean, we draw uh, 364 days a year. We transfuse it 365 days a year and it has a shelf life. So it's, I think it's pretty understandable why we have to do it every single day. But we, uh, we are very grateful to those donors who do understand and who come and donate one, two, three, four, five times a year. And our platelet donors who may donate 20 times a year, we're forever grateful. Vicki Finson, our Executive VP for Blood Services. I always like talking to somebody who's passionate about the blood supply, like Vicki. Just remember that State Blood Donor Day in Washington and Oregon is Saturday, December 18th. So please go to our website and make your appointment, your commitment, your promise to your neighbor, whatever you want to call it. Please book your donation by going to bloodworksnw.org. Well, that wraps it up for Bloodworks 101. I'm your host, John Yeager. See you next time.